We're continuing with what we've been doing this summer, kind of taking a look at some critical questions that Jesus asks. And when Jesus asks questions, he's always looking for an answer, and he provides the answer for us. And uh, so today, he, he comes to his disciples like, guys, I, I just washed your feet. Do you get it? Do you understand what I did here? And uh, I don't know about you, I would have been the guy like in the math class, like, okay, the teacher's up there saying, now, do you understand this? And I would have been like, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. I don't get it. I don't want to talk right now. Let me just try to listen. And so Jesus does a beautiful thing in that he not only asks the question, but then he, he provides the answer for us. And so we'll take a look at what, what it is he's unpacking for us. Because there's, uh, I'll tell you what, let's read the passage, John 13. We're just going to read 1 through 17. And, uh, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll, uh, we'll jump in together from there, okay? So John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Here we go. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from, the, from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. You should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. So Lord, we're going to need you today to teach us what your son was doing those 2,000 years ago. Help us to see the full picture and help us to be changed because we've come here today not to mark another Sunday off the calendar and to say we go to church. We're not trusting that. That's not going to get us your favor. We've come here today to meet with you. We never forget meeting with you. It changes us every time. Because we see how good and 
how powerful and how holy you are. And we see how broken and how bankrupt and how weak we are. And we trust you. And Lord, we're asking it today as we trust you that you would change us into the image of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing we see here as we look at this question of servanthood is that for true believers, Christ's cross provides the perfect display of humility. The perfect display of humility. And I want you to see why we're going immediately to the cross. Okay, so we see this whole passage, verses 1 through 17, is about a cleansing of the feet. And I said it's about, number one, the uh, reality of the cross. For true believers, Christ's cross provides, number one, the perfect display of humility. Why are we talking about the cross if this whole story is about a foot cleansing? And so we're going to answer that question in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The the cross is like a a day away. It's coming a hundred miles an hour in Jesus' direction. It had been prophesied for like thousands of years prior to, and Jesus said in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, Remember he told them, in the day you sin, you will surely die. And when, when God shows up to Adam and Eve, one of the first things he says is Genesis 3.15, I will provide for you one who will take away the sins of the world. He said there's one who's, who, uh, who will come and, and he will bruise his heel, but you, my son, will crush his head. Right? So in Genesis 3.15, right from the get-go, we get a prophecy that there will be one who takes away the sins of the world. And here, we are just hours away from Jesus displaying the fullness of his love all the way to the end. We are, we are closing in on God keeping fully his promise that there would be one who could take away the sins of the world. So that's why we're, we're, we're seeing this act of the foot washing as a, as a precursor or almost like a parable that is pointing to the cross. Now, I don't mean parable like it didn't really happen. It's just a story. I mean parable like a, a, a story or a, an act of service that everybody could see and get their arms wrapped around that would stick with them. They didn't have Facebook. They did not have even from 1960s, they didn't have Polaroid. They can take the quick little Insta picture and hand it to you and say, now now keep this in mind. And so instead of that, Jesus had this option of, I'm approaching the end of this ministry. I'm about to leave them. I want to leave them a picture so they get it and so they can carry it with them for the rest of their lives. And this is the picture he chose to give them. And it's a picture that pointed to the cross. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart. This is where Jesus says he knows his hour has come. You know what? All through the book of John, he was telling people around him, my hour has not yet come. In John chapter 2, verse 4, Mary comes to him and says, listen, we're running out of wine at the wedding. And Jesus says, oh, mom, my hour has not yet come. 
but he turns the water into wine. In John chapter 7, his brothers come to him and say, Jesus, if you're really this Messiah that you claim to be, here's the plan you need to, here's what you need to do, big brother. Go to Jerusalem at the time of the feast and do miracles and make yourself known. And Jesus says to his brothers who did not believe him until after he raised from the dead, he says, my time has not yet come. He says it like this. My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. In other words, you always have something you want me to do, right? And again in verse 8, he says, in chapter 7, he says, I am not going to publicly identify myself at the feast in Jerusalem, for my time has not yet fully come. John chapter 7, verse 30, Jewish leaders come to arrest him, but because his hour had not yet come, he said to them, I will be here a little while longer. John 8, verse 20, after claiming to, uh, to be the light of the world in the temple, surrounded by people. He could not be arrested because no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. But just a couple verses prior to 13 verse 1, where we started today, in chapter 12, verse 23, some people had come to Jesus, some Gentiles had come to Jesus, and for the first time, Jesus utters these words, after his triumphal entry, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He knew his time had come. And so he's not just talking about washing of the feet. He's talking about humbling himself far further than washing feet. He's talking about going to the cross. And that's what this whole picture, this whole snapshot is illustrating. But Jesus will go to the cross for those he loves. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Can I just point out something here? This example is for the disciples. He is not showing great love for the world in this moment. There are moments when Jesus shows great love for the world, John 3:16. And there are moments when God shows, when Christ shows great love only for those who are closely following him. Do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. So this picture is given for his disciples so his disciples see how great his love is for them. Do you know that God sets his affection on those who are following closely after him? Do you know that he gives you special signs and signals of his love for you? Do you know that he draws you close to his heart? Do you know that he wants you to experience the closeness of relationship that comes through Jesus Christ? Do you know that he sees what's going on in your world and he's reaching you? And so in this passage, John wants to point out to us, man, he is loving his own to the end. And he's about to show it by, by condescending, by humbling himself to the point of going to the cross. And Jesus is showing perfect humility. I think we get confused regarding what humility is. Humility is not this kind of sense of, well, you know, who am I to say what God, what, what people should do with their lives? Who am I to say? I, I, I just need to let people do what they're going to be. I, uh, they can do what they want to do. I, I just, I've got nothing to say. Right? Jesus didn't say that. 
Listen, when the, the king of the universe has spoken in his word, then who are you to doubt what the king of the universe has said in his word? And so humility is me coming to the place before holy God where I don't say to the world around me, who am I to say how you're living? Humility is coming to the place before holy God where I say, I can't help but announce to the world around me who you are. And you and I would be humble if we would get over the fear of man to embrace the fear of God. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Where he's saying, I know that for me to come and wash your feet crosses every social boundary that there is. And I know that for a king to be crucified on a cross crosses every sense of royalty that you have in your brain. But that's exactly where I'm going, to the cross and to wash your feet. I'm humbling myself before you. And that is a Humility is, is not a who am I to say kind of thing. It's a I know what God has said kind of thing. All right? uh, humility is not a I think of myself as nothing. God doesn't call any of his followers to think of, you're not called to think of yourself as nothing. You're called to, to not think of yourself. You know, that's kind of the definition of humility. It's not thinking of yourself. And when you're not thinking of yourself in terms of the mission that God has given you, then you're thinking constantly of his mission and not the price that you will pay for doing his mission. And so uh, I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of who I am in God and the mission God has for me, not how much is this going to cost me or how painful is this going to be or, or how am I going to be able to do this. Humility is not, I, I remain silent. How many times have, have we confused humility with introvertedness? The quiet person, oh, they're, they're humble. Well, I don't know. There's no connection between extrovert and pride, necessarily, and introvert and humility, necessarily. Because the introvert has to find their voice, whether it's a literal voice or an act of service, but it's, a, it's an obedient life that gives glory to God, even when the whole world would want to shut it up. We want to shut up the service or shut up the voice. And the extrovert has to do the exact same thing where they're finding their voice, maybe it's literal, their voice to announce to this world that even though you want me to stop talking about who God is and what he's doing, I can't. My hour has come, right? And so Jesus, his hour has come, and he understands humility not as uh, who am I to say, not as I think nothing of myself, and not as I'm going to remain silent, but he's taking this opportunity to to serve the needs of the people around him in such a way that it points to what God is about to do at the cross. Humanly speaking, this is an example to us of the way we should serve each other. Theologically speaking, this is Jesus whose act of service is the only act of service that can cleanse us from our sin. But even as we go back, and again, we're talking about the humanly speaking part of it. Look at all the things that's going on in Jesus' life. Here's all the reasons Jesus would have not to wash the disciples' feet. Okay? I'm just going to read through some things that I noticed from this text. Okay? Uh, humanly speaking, here's what Jesus is going through. Number one, uh, he's been abandoned by his family. His brothers don't believe him and won't believe him until after he is risen from the dead the third day. Do you ever have your brother or your sister come to you and announce negativity and judgment on you 
and reject you? That's painful. Jesus lived with that. Jesus had wept in John 11 over the death of his good friend, Lazarus. Have you wept recently over the death of a good friend? Well, you say, wow, he brought him back to life. I mean, come on. He's, he's Jesus, and that is true, but keep in mind that uh, the, uh, it says later on that they are not only, the, the religious authorities are not only looking to kill Jesus, but they want to put Lazarus to death again because, because of Lazarus being raised, people were believing Jesus. So his friend who had died just recently was brought back to life, and now the religious leaders, because of Jesus, were seeking to put Lazarus to death. Jesus had been misunderstood and falsely accused by the Pharisees. The religious leaders are trumping up charges and lying about him, making stuff up, and the religious leaders want to arrest him, and the purpose of that arrest is to put him to death. Have you ever gotten an email that is negative? Now, we talked about a family member that rejected you, but maybe you've got a hard word, an email that comes your way. And that's happened to me in the past where you get a hard email and it sticks with you. And it's not someone accusing you. No one's pursuing me. No one wants to put me to death, but I have literally occasionally lost sleep over emails that were really, really negative. How ridiculous am I, right? But look at Jesus burden is greater. It's greater. Jesus had people who were literally coming, looking for him so that they could put him to death. Jesus knows that his hour has come. That is, he knows that he will be dead in the next 24 hours. He will finally give up his life. He has come for this. If we look at this theologically from, a, from God's point of view, he will finally pay the price of sin forever and be glorified. He knows that he's going to be with his father forever. But he knows that the way to be with his father forever is through human suffering and death. He knows that he will die through much suffering. He knows that these guys, these 12 disciples that he has spent his whole ministry with, these last three years, still don't understand what in the world is going on. In fact, he's, he's explaining things to them just one. In fact, if we read another passage, after this washing of their feet... They are literally with clean feet and the smell of Dawn dishwashing detergent in the air. They are arguing over who's the greatest. They still don't get it. What it looks like to actually serve each other and not care who's the greatest. One of his disciples is a betrayer. Listen to me. He's about to wash his feet. There's somebody in your life who absolutely stands against you in everything that you would do and makes a show as if they don't. And you know what's going on. And Jesus is about to bow before him. Take the feet that he created in his hands and wash his feet. He has every reason not to do this, guys. He has every reason to say, no, that's too much. I mean, you think about the reasons that I have or that you have to not serve the people around us. And I have just painted the picture, and we could continue to paint the picture. All of his disciples are going to leave him. According to John 16, verse 32, they all went home. He was left completely alone. And in John 16, 32, here's what Jesus says about that. 
Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each of you disciples, to his own home. You will all leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone. For the Father is with me. Peter, one of his closest friends in the world, is about to deny him. His relationship with his father, which has been intact and perfect for all eternity, is going to be strained and tried by the reality that his father is about to lay on him, though he knows no sin. He is about, the father is about to lay on the son the sins of the entire world and somehow turn his back on him momentarily while he suffers on the cross. In that situation, Jesus has every reason not to serve. He has every reason not to wash the sins. In fact, I'll tell you right now, our culture right now would say, you're not being real, Jesus. Come on, be real. Aren't you angry about what's going on here? Aren't you upset about what's happening? Don't, aren't you disappointed? If you were real and authentic, you would tell us every feeling you have right now. You would explain to us why you're so disappointed with us. You would lecture us about what's going on. But you know what? He doesn't do any of that. As a parent, you come to the end of something and your kid is about to leave the house for some big moment and and you don't have words to say. You don't know what to say. And and if if you had the words, you're not sure you should say them. Jesus could have called like an act of heaven down and explained it one more time. But instead, he's about to give them a snapshot. A snapshot of what it looks like to really serve and love each other. And so he's got this love for his disciples that in the midst of all of his human reasons not to serve, he doesn't get real. He doesn't become authentic. He doesn't say, here's all the things I'm struggling with and how the ways you've hurt me. he, 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 He continues to understand who God is while his life is at its lowest human point, and he faces the cross. He doesn't ask someone for help. He doesn't tell them how they've disappointed him. He doesn't point out where they've come short. He keeps his eyes fixed on God and then loves his disciple in in service to to the end. Look at this picture of Jesus serving and the way that he loves. It's incredible. The humble servant knows who he is and what his father's doing. So in the midst of all that human pain and suffering, he knows that his hour has come, verses 1 and 2. In verse 3, he also knows that everything has been placed in his hands by his father. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose up from supper. We'll continue with that thought in just a minute. What's in his hands? Everything is in his hands. If, it, if humanly speaking, we see all of this pain that he's dealing with and he continues to serve in the midst of it, theologically speaking, he's about to regain his throne. He's about to take his seat again at the Father's right hand forever. He is about to sit down because all of his work is coming to an end. He is going to receive the praise of the angels in heaven. He is about to uh, uh, take his rightful place. And again, if we look back at what we talked about 
earlier, in all of these places where Jesus is identifying himself, he almost all throughout this whole summer, he points back and he calls himself the Son of Man. The title in the book of John that he loves the most, Son of Man. And in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14, the Son of Man, all authority belongs to him. He has it forever and ever. And Jesus is this king, and as this king, he is bowing before the feet of his own disciples to wash his feet, to wash their feet. And he's basically saying, if you think this is an incredible act of moving down, if you think this is an act of condescension, if you think this is an act of service, I, want, I just want to point out to you, he would be saying to them, it, it is nothing compared to this act of service where I humble myself to give up my life for you. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. You guys all know this passage, but nonetheless, John 13 and Philippians 2 shed light on one another. Philippians 2, start at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hey, disciples, you're not going to understand this foot washing thing yet. You're not going to fully get it yet. But this foot washing is pointing to this cross or this condescension of him doing something shocking before you. Him doing something you cannot believe he would do is leading to the next thing, which is even greater, where the king of kings gives up his life so that his people can know him and have their sins forgiven. The humble servant knows who he is and he knows what his father's doing. The humble servant washes the disciples' feet. So he rose from supper, he, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, listen, all things were placed in his hands. And what does he do with his hands? He doesn't hold a rod of iron. He doesn't produce a gavel. He takes up a towel. Parents, how do you parent? I would tend to parent from the perspective of lecture and demand. Jesus puts down the lecture and the demand and takes up a towel. He puts down the words and he takes up the modeling. He stops talking to them about what they should be doing and shows them a life transformed, the life transformed, of what they should be doing. Less talking about what they should be doing, more showing them 
what they should be doing, with the way we live. And by the way, that's not just in doing acts of service, that's in attitudes. That's in how you think about money. That's in what you spend your time doing. That's in every area of life that you're modeling it. And so Jesus, with his hands, and in verse 3, God has placed everything in his hands. And in verse 4, with his hands, he takes up a towel to show his disciples humility. He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured out water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This, this never took place. Here, the Lord has become the servant. Here, the Lord, the one who could have demanded that his servants serve him, says, I, the Lord, will serve the servant. And that's exactly what he did, and he gave us an example to follow. For true believers, Christ's cross provides uh, not only the, uh, the perfect display of humility, but secondly, it's our only hope for forgiveness. Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Can you, can you imagine this scene? I want you to imagine. If you remember in, in John 10, 11, 12, there's, there's several stories. And one of the stories is of Mary who, who brings the uh, perfume and he, she breaks it and she places it on Jesus' feet and it was worth a ton of money. And Judas was angry about this reality that she didn't sell it to give the money to the poor. He didn't say that because he really wanted to give the money to the poor. He said that because he, wanted, he used to help himself to whatever money was in the, the bag. He was the keeper. He was the treasurer. So Judas wanted all this money to come into the bag because he used to help himself to the money. So here we are in the upper room, and Jesus is going around to wash their feet, and I cannot help but think that his feet still had the aroma of the perfume on them. And as he was moving from person to person, probably the scene was them leaning in towards a table, and as their feet were out like spokes on a bike tire, he was going around the outside and cleaning up their feet, and ten of them were saying, I don't know what's going on, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Peter speaks up, he's the eleventh one, and the twelfth one, Judas. Can you imagine what's going through his head? This act of service that is putting ten people in awe of their master. And I think Judas despises it. I think the smell of the aroma on Jesus' feet was a reminder to Judas that Jesus' kingdom is not about money. It's not about right here and now in a physical sense. He's not going to be this king who sets up a throne. And Judas is angry. And for Judas, this act of the foot washing is the final straw. Jesus knows that it's already been placed in his heart that he's going to betray him. And he leaves from this place a couple hours later and goes to, to seal the deal. So the point being there that the same act of sacrifice can be glory to some and hated by others. So here Jesus giving this act of sacrifice He's our only hope for forgiveness. And so again in verse um, 7, Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Jesus is saying, you don't get this, and you won't get it. 
You won't get it until after I'm raised from the dead and things start adding up in your mind. And we read later that finally they do get it, right? Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And in the original language there, it's like a no, never. It's like an emphatic, like I would yell, but it would scare you. So I'm not going to yell, but he's like, never. And it's an exclamation point, you will not wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That word share is a word of inheritance. If, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not forgiven. You're not in this cadre. You're not one of the disciples. And so Peter, ever the one who wants to be distinguished and ever the one who wants to be noted, says, okay, then not only my feet, my hands and my head also. And basically what he's saying is, uh, okay, if you've got you to wash something, give me a full bath. I mean, do the whole thing here. Let's, let's, let's make me the one who gets the special treatment. And Jesus said to him, verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And so we need to unpack this. What is Jesus talking about? Here's what he's saying. When we speak of the, the theological truth here, he's saying, guys, if you have entered into a relationship with God by me, if you are trusting me fully, you are clean. But there's one who's not clean. Judas is not clean. He has his feet cleansed by the Master. Jesus bows before him with his own feet, prepared for burial, and washes the feet of Judas. And I'm telling you, and Jesus is telling you, that doesn't make him right with God. So Jesus can come, and you can have an interaction with the king, and you can know who he is, and he can touch your feet, and he, you can have an experience, the same experience that everybody else has, but if you're not washed by the working of Jesus, you're not in the kingdom. That's what he's saying here. And if you are washed, you don't need to get fully washed again. This idea is that, that look, you're, you're fully clean, I just got to wash your feet. In other words, he's saying, look, as you continue to follow after me, there's got to be a constant change in your life. You have to keep walking with me. You do not want to get 30 years down the road and say, well, you know, the big change in my life, it happened 30 years ago when I trusted Christ as Savior. Since then, not much has been really happening in my life. You know, you have the opportunity before you, daily foot washing. And that is not enter into Christ, it is first John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we have the daily opportunity to examine our life and to come into relationship with Jesus, to repent of our sins, to re receive daily cleansing that is changing us and changing us and changing us day after day. Ephesians chapter 5 says that sanctification takes place by the washing of the Word. So you and I are changed daily. Not by living in pop culture. Not by uh, changed into the image of the world around us. But after we have been fully washed by Jesus, we have our feet washed by Him every day as He cleanses us and changes us. And what does that take on your part? 
I'll tell you what it takes in your part is an examination of your life. Examine your finances. Examine your motives. Examine your forgiveness. Examine your bitterness. Examine your attitude towards the people you work with. Examine your active participation in sharing your faith with the people around you. You examine every part of your life, and at the end of the day, you're coming into a a closed-door meeting with Jesus, and His Word is open before you, and you're saying, Lord, wash my feet. I know I'm in. I know I've repented. I know I've trusted. I know I'm fully clean. But oh God, I need you to change my heart today because I am so bitter, because I am so grudge-holding, because I spend all my money on me, because I am so far into this, this ridiculous relational tension that I can't get out and save face because I am so broken. And Jesus comes and meets with you and washes your feet. And that's the picture of what's going on here when Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I'm not going to wash your feet, then you're not being sanctified and changed. And if you're not being sanctified and changed, then that's proof that you never entered into a relationship with me. Peter says, rewash me. Wash me fully. And Jesus says, you don't need to be washed fully. You need your feet cleansed. You had your feet washed by Jesus this week? By getting alone with His Word and asking His Spirit to convict you and repenting. You know that repenting is not just something we do when we enter a relationship with Jesus. It's something we do on Monday, and it's something we do on Tuesday, and it's something we do on Wednesday, and he's faithful to wash, to wash, to wash. And that way, when we get to the end of our life, none of us are going to say, well, the big change, the only, the only change I can really think of is, yeah, I, I trusted Jesus. I know that my sins are going to be forgiven one day. And that's great. We all need that. But every day of our life is another opportunity for our character to become more like Jesus. And this act of service that Jesus is putting forth for us, it's not just saying you should find an act of service. Look, I could get up here and say, now, you should serve the Lord this this winter. You should get involved and you should lead a Bible study. Or you should get involved in um, uh, life groups, and you should. And you, or you should teach a Sunday school class. Or you should, and listen, all those things are true. But it misses the point that Jesus is calling us to an attitude of constantly giving our life away in service when we see the need before us all the time. He didn't call us to, to add foot washing to the church because it would be so easy for us to line up Sunday after Sunday and think that that's an ordinance of the church and wash each other's feet while our lives fall apart. For us to say, well, I washed their feet. They washed my feet. Yeah, but are we in each other's life selflessly? Are we condescending far below what what the technical cultural norms are to give and meet the needs of the people around us? 
That's the heart of this passage. And that condescension points to the greater service that Christ did for you and me when the king of the universe who had everything in his hands died your death because there was no other way to have your sins forgiven. And he gives us the ability to have his life imputed to us so that we can live out his righteousness. And that is the gospel. That he gets our sin and we get, we get his righteousness. Man. And so here's what we have. Is Jesus intending to us to communicate that this act of service leaves us completely clean. And that there is nothing beneath him. There is nothing that he won't do to make us right in his sight. He washes our feet. So we see that uh, true believers, Christ's cross, it provides. It's the perfect display of humility. Jesus has that heart and that attitude. It's our only hope of forgiveness. And uh, as, as Peter says, wash me fully, Jesus said, well, you're already washed fully, but there's one here who's not washed fully. And he knew that Judas was there. And again, boy, can I just, can I just take an aside before we move on to our last point here? For you to serve the person in your life that is your betrayer is a supernatural thing. A person could be here or in this church body or your neighbor in Sheboygan, your sworn enemy, the person that is hardest for you to love. And listen, it's not as hard as this. Where Jesus knew that as he washed Judas' feet, that Judas was going to run out of that last supper on clean feet that Jesus had just provided for him. And he was going to run to get money to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew it. Someone like that in your life? You want to lecture them. You want to go off on them. You want to avoid them. Jesus doesn't bring any of that up. He takes the feet in his hand and washes them in, hum in humility. What a Savior we have. Well, for true believers, Christ's cross provides the, the happy example for us to follow. So, so we know all these things. And it comes to this point where we have to, at some point, say, look, it's fine to know all these things in this church. It's fine to know all these things from Scripture. It's fine to have a, a brain that gets all this. But what are we going to actually do with it? How will our life change? You know, we live in a world that the gospel of the world around us, they could care less about Jesus. They could care less about the kingdom of God. They are constantly talking about happiness. They want to be happy. And we could stand up before them and say, well, this passage in particular says how you can have a blessed life, a happy life. Uh, how is that? Well, completely change your mindset about what you are deserved and understand that you deserve nothing. If the king of kings can, Philippians 2, not hold on to his identity as, as God, and just he can, he can let go of, of expecting or wanting that praise right now. He can, he can 
release his hand on that. And if he can humble himself and become like a human, and he can humble himself and become a servant, he has shown us humility. And step one, if we're really going to have a life that is blessed, is to live like that, a life of humility. Step two is to live every day understanding we need Jesus to wash our feet. That is, we live our life in repentance. We are letting the word of God change how we think and we are seeing our character change into the image of Jesus based on the work that his father is doing in us by the spirit. So the father and the son and the Holy Spirit have full access to our life and there's not a place in our life where we say not so fast. But we invite him into the very very fabric of our lives. And then we have the same attitude that Jesus had. When we say in this church body, there is not an act of service possible that I can think of that is beneath me. There's nothing beneath me. Jesus left it all and humbled himself and has shown me. And there's nothing beneath me. While Friends have passed away, I continue to serve. While friends betray me, I continue to serve. While uh, people don't understand the gospel message fully, very near to me, I continue to serve. I'm not saying me, I'm saying that's the attitude he wants all of us to have. While my hour has come, I continue to serve. While people wrongfully accuse me, I continue to serve. That's the blessed life. And that's why when we say to the world around us, you want a happy life? You really want to be happy? Okay. Humble yourself before a living God. Let him change you day after day after day by the working that only he can do in Jesus Christ and then serve the world with not expecting anything in return. And they walk away and say, That's not a happy life. That is the opposite of my definition of a happy life. And that's why we've got to press into Jesus. Because his definition of the blessed and happy life is the polar opposite of what you and I would draw up. So we're going to need him to change our mind. Change our mind. We're going to need him to impact us. Right? The Lord has become the servant of all. We thought the Lord would set up a kingdom, but the Lord set up a room where he washed feet. We thought the Lord would set up a kingdom, but the Lord set up a cross. We thought the Lord would receive honor and praises, but the Lord received blows and bled on our behalf. And when you and I arrive in the throes of trouble like that, the question we have is, Are we doing this? So again, verse 12, when he had washed their feet, put on the outer garments and resumed his place, he said, do you you get it? Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. The word Lord there means the one who could tell you to do anything. You call me the one who calls all the shots. The one who calls all the shots just totally gave up his right or his place and served you. He has dignified service. It is good and and high to give up your life to serve. Jesus did it first, right? 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, and you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Guys, I, I long for this to be, this next calendar year, or this next school year, a year where I learn better how to give up my rights to love you. And, and how you learn together in this place how to give up what you could view as your rights to serve the people around you. And how that puts us in a position where we, none of us are saying there's this great need and I'm waiting for someone else to do it because all of us are saying, where is there a need? I want to serve. There is nothing beneath me. And I'm not talking about just Sunday mornings or just Wednesday nights. I'm talking about Tuesday morning, picking up a phone and making the phone call. I'm talking about going the extra mile for one another out of love. Guys, that is the kind of love that Jesus displayed for us. He humbled himself. As we close, we think about what Jesus did on the cross for us. He made it possible for us to to enter in, right? And he made it possible for us to humble ourselves. And then he made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. And he made it possible for, uh, for us to live a life where we put on his mindset and serve one another for a little while, for just a little while. And we can do all of that Jesus knew that 24 hours later he'd be on the cross, that three days later he would be teaching his disciples for a little while, for 40 days, and that he would spend all of eternity with his Father in heaven. And the reason why you can endure the kind of pain that Jesus endured and the kind of pain that you are going through in your own personal life is because you know that this is just, it's real, but it's just a little while. And you will live forever in the presence of God with all your sins paid for, with all your troubles washed away, with all of your tears graciously dried away by the loving hand of your Savior. We live for that day, in this day, by displaying to one another the mindset which was in Christ Jesus, who though He existed in the perfect form of God, didn't consider that something to be holding on to. He let it go to serve the needs of the people around him. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, help us be transformed by a new mind that comes from you. And we are asking, Father, that where there is a person who is carrying a heavy, heavy load, that our eyes would see that load and we would serve the need. You would help us to see that even in the midst of a heavy load, the greatest thing that you can be doing is changing our character and making us more like Jesus. Help us to see that it is our privilege even in the midst of being betrayed and denied and talked about and rejected, even in the midst of knowing that our hour has come, 
to serve you. And Lord, that the hope we have is that this world, as great as it can be, and even as painful as it can be, is a vapor. And we will be with you forever. So Lord, give us the mind of Christ. Transform us by the working of your Spirit. Help us to not be pressed into the mold of the world around us, but instead, Lord, to to fear you. Help us to see that humility means not keeping our mouth shut, but finding our voice to announce to the world around us that there is hope in one, Christ Jesus, who has taken away the sins of the world. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.